0: Yo, what's up, Team Revo? Great to see you guys today. My name's Nathan. Thanks for crashing a party, hanging out with us. For those of you watching us online, whether you're at the beach or in the car to and from the beach or in the bed, whatever it is, whatever B applies to you, uh, thanks for hanging out with us and and being a part of it. Um, As a pastor, you guys probably probably assume this, but as a pastor, I I, uh, find myself at weddings quite frequently, either doing them or getting invited uh, to them. And um, you've probably heard me talk about weddings before, and uh, I'll tell you my favorite part of a wedding, any wedding that, that I'm, I'm part of or that I do, my favorite part of the wedding is when it's over, right? Uh, <laughs> The end, not like that, not like weird, like I don't want to be there. I'm talking about like when it's over, when the couple is leaving, that is my favorite part. Uh, because here's what happens traditionally, the, the couple, we've had a great night dancing and eating and hanging out and being with friends and family, and, and then before they leave the venue, the wedding party will form a line, like on, on, on either side of the exit, and at the end of the line, there's the car, whatever, however they're going to leave to go to the honeymoon or the airport or the hotel or whatever it is. And, and so everybody celebrates when they leave. And you know how it is. We, we like get all lined up and, and sometimes we have sparklers that will hold out and we'll scream when they run through the line. And other times you throw bird seed or rice or blow bubbles. Uh, All kind of things like that. And we celebrate them leave. And then when they go, now if you had good groomsmen, then they knew that their responsibility was to decorate the car before you leave. Like they just know that that that's a priority. And so traditionally, you see on the car, the limo, whatever it is when they're leaving uh, the venue, uh, you will see two words written in this like window chalk on the back of of the car. And here's the two words, just married. Just married married i really can't think of two sadder words to think about because the reality is that most people that get married that is exactly where they stay we are just married they never move into a great marriage they never develop into a relationship like that's just us we're we're, we're just married just married means that you will do the minimum in your relationship just to stay together That's all it is. We're we're just married. Just married means that you will do just enough to make sure that your spouse doesn't get mad at you. If you're just married, then you'll do just enough to make sure that your spouse won't leave because we just want to stay together because we're just married. I don't want to be just married. I want to have a great marriage. Like, I want to move from just being roommates and co parenting someone to actually having a great marriage and a great relationship. If that's one thing that I could, I would love to teach couples on how to change in their life is how to move from being just married, just having the ceremony, just having the paperwork, just living in the same house and sharing the same bills to actually having a, a great marriage. But here's what I know uh, if you want to move from being just married to having a great marriage it takes work Uh, some of the best marriages that i see that i've ever seen are two people that are willing to roll their sleeves up and work hard at having a great marriage but the, the cool thing about a great marriage is the bible tells us exactly how to have a great marriage uh, I, know, I know a lot of people have opinions on marriage and, and like what it takes to have a good one and what, it, what a great marriage looks like, but we can go straight back to God's Word. In fact, God speaks on what a great marriage is on the second page of the Bible. You want to talk about something that's like important and significant? Uh, you turn to Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 2, like front of the Bible, turn over one page, and there we see the outline, these Four pillars of a foundational marriage. If you want to have a great marriage, all you have to do is is look at, at what God has to say. So if you're married in here today and you want to move from having like just being married to having a great marriage, then good news, let's talk about it. But even more important, if you're single in here today, this is gonna help you understand and answer the question: Am I even ready for marriage? Like, do I know what I'm signing up for when I say I'm getting married? If, if you're a lady in here today and like you're thinking about like the guy that you're with right now, is, is, is he even marriage potential? Like, do, do I have a checklist? Do you have a husband checklist? Girls, I hope you do. And I hope it's like, what is it? Well, he's got to be hot. Right? Uh. You know what else is hot? Hell's hot. You don't want to go there, do you? Right? So like, uh, all right, great. He's good looking. He's cute. Like a lot of us are, okay? So it's just, we deal with it. All right, but it's got to be more than that, right? What is your, your marriage checklist? We've got a, a marriage checklist here in scripture that I want to go over in, in a world that has their own definition of success and what marriage looks like. Let's go back to the God that created marriage. He invented it. It was his idea. He orchestrated it and shows us how to be successful at it. So, if you have your Bible, we're going to do Genesis chapter 2. If you have your app, you can open that up. All the notes and the scriptures will be there. I want to give you four things uh, this morning that I see at the end of this text that are going to show you and I what are the foundations of a great marriage. Let's move. Come on. Let's move from just married to having a great marriage. That's one of the things that we can change. Here in verse 15, uh, we see the the setting of the story. The the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for... For him. Did you notice the order in that? Because in verse 18, God says, it, it, let's, let's introduce this idea of Adam having a soulmate. Let's introduce this idea of marriage, but he doesn't jump straight to that. God actually had a, a husband checklist for Adam. I don't know if you caught those, but there, there are four things really that I see in these first few verses. Like, that again, if you're single, like, l- ask yourself, do I have these things? Ladies, ask yourself, like, does my man, d- d- the guy I'm dating, the guy I'm with right now have these things? Here's, here's the first thing you want to have a foundation. If you want to know your, your marriage checklist and know if you're ready or it's even on your radar, it's this. First thing that Adam had Adam had a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you don't need to worry about other relationships in your life. Like, get the, your relationship with God is the most important relationship that you will have. You get that one right, and it has a positive effect on every other relationship you have. You miss that relationship, and it has an adverse effect on every other relationship that you had. And here in Scripture, we read that God and Adam were tight like physically, literally spoke to one another, walked in the garden with each other, had eye-to-eye contact with each other. That was the relationship that he had. Without a relationship with God, here's how it works. It will change how you define marriage. It'll change how you define what it means to love someone. It'll even change how you define what happens when marriage gets hard and you want to leave. See, if you have a good relationship with God, that impacts how you answer every single one of those questions. So, your relationship with God, first and foremost, is crucial. Ladies, does he have a relationship with Jesus? If not, let him start there. Second thing Adam had, you ready? After he nailed down his relationship with God, does he have a job? Does he have a job? And I, I get it, girls. Oh, but he has so much potential. Here's your, here's your little reminder that you can't marry potential, so don't date it either. Does he have a job? He had a relationship with God, and then the very next thing is God put Adam in the garden to what? To work it. Is he working it? Right? Like Adam is in there working. Here's the big thing about a job. It's the same thing with Adam. Uh, Can he provide for you? Like, can you provide for a family? Because here's Adam, like, Eve was not gonna be able to eat unless Adam worked the ground. Like, Adam had to to work it. Like, he just didn't just wake up and there was a plate of fruit at the foot of his bed. Like, that's not how it worked. God put him in the garden and said, all right, you wanna eat, work it. Pull the weeds. Like, plant the seeds. Know when to water it. Know when to pick it. Know the the cultivation of it and how long it takes to germinate and all. Like, you gotta know everything, Adam, because if you don't, you're not gonna eat. And so before God introduces a, a lady in Adam's life, he looks at him and said, are you gonna be able to provide for her? Like, I'm not gonna send this girl in here and you're gonna be like, what are we gonna eat? And he's like, I don't know, what are we, we gonna eat? Can you provide? So Adam had a job that he was working. Adam had a hard work ethic. He he worked everything that God placed in front of him. So he had a relationship with God, number one. Number two, does he have a job? Is he going to be able to provide for your family? Number three, is he responsible? Because God did not just say, I'm going to put Adam in the garden to work it. He said, work it and take care of it. It wasn't just about having a job. It was about being responsible. Are you responsible with what God has already placed in your life? Because if you are not being responsible with what you currently have, why in the world would God give you more? If you're not responsible with your life, fellas, why would God bring one of his daughters into your irresponsible life so you can wreck hers too? It's not going to happen. So God said, all right, Adam, do you have a relationship with me? Check. Do you have a job? you going to provide for this girl? You're going to be able to provide for her financially, for emotionally, uh, physically? Like, do you have what it takes? And then are you going to be responsible? Like, prove to me that you can just not work the garden, but over the long haul, you're going to be able to sustain it. Show me that you're responsible in this. Show me that you can be a good steward of what I've already given you. And then we can talk about what, I can, what more I can give you. Last thing, after he had a relationship with God, he had a job, he was responsible. Last thing God challenges him on is, Adam, are you going to be a man of character and integrity? Because in, in verse 17, he says, here's one tree in the garden you cannot eat from, and all the other trees in the garden that you can. All right, Adam, I gave you some boundaries from your life. I taught you what is right and wrong. Let me see if you can do it. Prove to me that you know how to hear from God and that you will do what he tells you to do. Is that person a person of character and integrity? Because if not, your whole life is going to be filled with decision after decision that leads to regret and shame and remorse. Do they know the difference between right and wrong? Are they a person of character and integrity? God checked all of those things off first. He's like, way before I even mention the opportunity of maybe you having a gal Let's check those things off first. So we check all of those things off in 15 through 18. And then finally, when when God established that Adam was husband potential, that he was ready for a relationship, then he looked down and said, you know what, now that you've proved yourself, Adam, I've noticed something, man, like there's something missing. There's, there's someone, a, a suitable helper for you that is missing. In verse 19, we keep moving forward. Now, now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That's a pretty cool job, huh? Like, that was literally Adam's job. God would just bring an animal, whatever animal it was at the time. Like, all right, Adam, what do you want to call this one? Now, listen, I've had two daughters. And if you knew how many baby name books we read, like just to come up with the two names that we have, Leah and Lydia, like it was awful, painstaking. I can't believe like Adam did that, right? With every, scripture says every animal that walked on the earth, every fish that swam in the ocean, every bird that flew in the sky, Adam had to come up with a name for them. We have We have hippopotamus. Thank you, Adam, for that. I mean, imagine seeing a giraffe for the first time and God's like, what do you want to call that? Like my name would have been a neck joke, right? I mean, it would have had to have been a neck joke. But for some reason, Adam chose something different. And so he's like, he's got a job. He's, He's working it, clocking in, clocking out, working hard, good work ethic, proving himself. But then God even says, hey, there's been another season where you've proven that you're a hard worker, that you're responsible, that you and I have a relationship, that you're a man of character and integrity. You told me you were going to do this job, and you did it. You finished it. You proved yourself. Now, for the second time, God's like, yeah, but he needs a helper. He needs, he needs somebody else in his, in his life. And in verse 21, it says, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs... And then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So odd enough, like scripture says God takes a rib out of Adam and and makes the woman out of it. I want you to notice that God, God did not take a, a bone from Adam's head because the woman was not designed to be over the man. He did not take a bone from Adam's foot because the woman was never to be like below the man. He took the bone out of Adam's side because God was making him a partner a partner in life that would walk along beside him. Different roles, but equal value. The, the Bible says that the animals were made from the dust of the earth, but God wanted to make the woman out of the man because the man was an image bearer of God. And God wanted the woman to be an image bearer of God as well. And so God's putting a huge value on, on the female life in, in this story. He says, Adam, this is going to be your soulmate. This is going to be your helper. This is going to be your partner in crime. You guys are going to be thick together. And, and he gave him that gift. And, and, and scripture says that like Adam woke up, and then when he woke up, uh, God brought Eve into the garden. Like that had to have been a good day for Adam right there. Like he wakes up and he's like, "Yeah, okay, yes, sir. The Bible says that uh, Adam was given the responsibility of naming the woman as well, and he, and he called her woman. And I, there's no biblical basis for this. I, I, this is strictly Nathan Klein version of the Bible. Here's what I think happened. God was like, all right, Adam, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring something out in front of you right now, and it's going to be your responsibility to name this one as well. And in walks Eve, and Adam, and he never seen anything like that before, and I was like, whoa, man, that is awesome. And God's like, whoa, man, okay, all right, if that's what you want, then whatever. I think, man, like Adam was like, that's what I'm talking about. There's, that, that is not what an elephant looks like. That is different than an elephant, and I'm here for it. And God orchestrates all that together, brings it, brings it together. And in these next two verses, the last verses is where we see these four foundational pillars of marriage. This is when, when man and woman came together in the very first marriage. God gives us an outline of what that's supposed to look like. In verse 24, he says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Four things, if you want to move from just married, just, just married, to having a great marriage, God gives us everything you need. Now, now heads up, it is really simple, but very hard. It's simple, it's straightforward, you're not going to hear anything out of these four, is like, yeah, oh man, that's, that, that sounds about right. But you want to try to do it in your life every day becomes very difficult. Here's the first one that I want to challenge you on. If you're taking notes, jot these down. Uh, Number one, you want to have a great marriage. You got a number one. You have to prioritize your marriage. You have to make your marriage a priority if you want your marriage to be great. The Bible says that Adam, uh, the man would leave his father and his mother So that was your priority. You were a part of that family. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to abandon your mom and your dad whenever you get married. It just means that all of a sudden, they are not your top priority anymore. You are starting your own family, and Adam, your wife, will be your top priority. This will be your number one commitment. You want to have a great marriage Make a commitment to prioritize your marriage. That's exactly what Adam had to do here. All right, so what does that mean? What does that look like? You prioritize your marriage, number one, by sacrificing. Here's a question for for the married couples in the room. When is the last time you sacrificed for your spouse? Last time you said no to yourself And yes to them. When's the last time you sacrificed something for your marriage, for the health and benefit of your marriage? That's what it means to prioritize your marriage. Like learn how to sacrifice for that person. Another one, how do you you prioritize your marriage? It takes time and energy, right? I mean, what do you give your time and energy to? Here's the, the sad reality of a lot of the life that we live in right now. Most people will give all of their best time and energy towards their career towards their job, towards their boss. And what happens? You get home from a long day of work and you get home to now your top priority, your marriage. And man, I'm tired. I don't have any energy left. Like I, I, I was peppy at work and, and nice to people and kind to people and customer service and whatever, whatever it is you do for a job. Like we wanna make sure we're on point when we're at work. But then when we get home, all we wanna do is like flop on the couch and doom scroll on our cell phones. And we don't have our best. We don't prioritize our marriage. And so our marriage ends up getting our leftovers. But that's not what a great marriage does. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have a great career. I want to get to the end of my life and have a great marriage. So what are you giving your priority to? What is top priority in your life? I understand we got to make money and we got to pay bills. But if you're giving your best to your boss, then that means you can't give your best to your spouse. If you're not ready to give your spouse your best, then you're not ready to get married. Just keep working your job and keep being single. Prioritize that marriage. Here's the last one. This one kind of catch you, man. In order to prioritize your marriage, it involves your attitude. Attitude is something that uh, unfortunately can make a relationship go south really quick. Because here's what I know about attitude. You can do all the right things. But if you do it with the wrong attitude, they become all the wrong things. <laughs> if your spouse asks you to do something and, and, and you got an opportunity to serve her, right? I got an opportunity to serve Elizabeth. Elizabeth asked me to do something. Can you do this for me? Or can you say no to this so that you can spend time like this? If I go up to her and be like, oh, I guess, I guess I will. I mean, what choice do I have? What, uh, I mean, you ask me now, you can't say no, right? Wrong attitude becomes the wrong response. Even if I serve her, even if I do what, I'm at, what she asked me to do, with the wrong attitude, it produces the wrong result and it becomes the wrong thing. So how are you prioritizing your marriage in that way? Again, what I like to tell couples in, in premarital counseling is don't give your spouse your leftovers. Come on, man, leftovers are terrible. Like you ever been to a restaurant and they bring the food out and it's fresh and it's hot and and it's plated well and everything looks good and you're hungry and and maybe you eat about half of it and you say, hey, I, want, I want to take the rest of it home. And and the next day you wake up and and like it's it's in the refrigerator and you pop the top on it and and it and it looks like on the way out the door, you just took the to-go container and shook it like that, because like all the food's all all over each other, and it's cold and now all of a sudden it doesn't look appealing at all like I don't know how many like doggy bags I've taken home and then the next day thrown away because I'm like this is gross and it was awesome the night before that's our marriage man you don't want to give your spouse the leftovers look look at leftovers nobody likes them it's cold and hard and gross and mixed up make sure you don't give your wife your leftovers your spouse your leftovers give your spouse the best prioritize that, your time, your energy, your efforts, your affections, your emotions, everything. My wife gets the best. My boss can have what's left over. Give your boss the leftovers, unless you wanna get to the end of your life and have a great career and a terrible marriage. I'd rather have a great marriage. I don't wanna be just married. So we prioritize our, our marriage. Little, little side note, I meet a lot of parents um, that are married that say, hey, look, we, I want to make sure that, like, in, in our relationship, I prioritize my kids. Like, that's important. I'm their mom or I'm their dad. I need to prioritize my kids. I would argue the best thing your kids can see is a prioritized marriage. Like, you loving your spouse, caring for your spouse, serving your spouse, be a great example for your kids. It'll help more than anything else. Show them what that healthy relationship looks like. Prioritize that marriage first. Number two, uh, we see this in scripture. God, God makes it really clear. Number two, you wanna have a great marriage? You gotta date your spouse. Number 2 you got to date your spouse. Not only does verse 24 say that the man leaves his mom, but if you're reading the King James version, King Jimmy says you leave and then you cleave. You ever heard of that that saying? Like that's what that's what sometimes pastors will say at a wedding, leave your parents and cleave to your wife. Here's the best way that I can describe cleave. It's like Velcro. The definition of cleave is is to be stuck together with like no space in between, unwavering. Like girls are like the soft, fuzzy part of the Velcro and guys are like the hard, prickly, annoying part of the scratchy part of the Velcro. You stick them together and you're a great team, right? That's what it means to, to leave and cleave. Cleave to your wife, develop that relationship. Here's something interesting that I've learned about relationships and a lot of times in life. Isn't it interesting how hard we work at something until we get it? And then we put it on cruise control. Think about, I was thinking about this week. Think about what you did for married couples in here. Think about what you did for your spouse before you got married. I did some crazy things for Elizabeth when we were dating. We're high school sweethearts. And I can remember one in particular. We, we uh, went to college about 20 minutes from uh, each other. And one night, Elizabeth and I are talking on the phone. And, and we're just talking about, you know, just nothing. And she mentions something. She says, you know, it's been a long time since I've been to that ice cream place in downtown Greenville. Uh, what's it called? Marble Slab. I love Marble Slab ice cream. Like, we should do that sometime. About five minutes later, I tell Elizabeth, bye. You know what I do? hang up the phone, get in my car, drive 45 minutes to downtown Greenville, stand in line at the Marble Slab. I get her her favorite pint of ice cream, her favorite flavor all mixed up with her favorite toppings. I get that, I drive 25 minutes to her school. I knock on the door. She opens up the door. Hey girl. (laughs) Hey girl, I I heard you mention on the phone you wanted some ice cream from Marble Slab, so I went and got it for you. just just handed it to her and left. Drove 20 minutes back to my school. Now with gas prices the way it are, that's a $75 pint of ice cream right there. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Like what you would do, but let, let me tell you what happened the other night. I get in the bed and get the covers up to my neck and Elizabeth said, hey man, I want some water. I'm like, no. I just got in the bed, man. Like, I was just outside the bed. You could have asked me. You were thirsty back then. I was just outside the bed. Now I'm in the bed and I got the covers pulled up and you're like, can I have some water? Like, you're not thirsty. (laughs) It's just in your mind. I don't want you to wet the bed. So don't drink any water right before you go to bed, right? (laughs) Like, I won't even walk from my bed to the refrigerator to get my wife some water. But before we were dating, I would drive a two-hour round trip and buy $75 worth of ice cream what happened we work hard at something until we get it and then all of a sudden we just put it on cruise control and that's how you get just married you work hard and you date and you sacrifice and you put on your happy face and you love and you serve and then once you get the bag now it's like all right well you stuck with me now and that's not what the bible says the people that have the best relationships are not the ones that get married, but that every day work hard at having a great marriage. Every day you are cleaving, you're Velcro, you're listening for cues to go get ice cream, you're looking to serve your spouse and to love your, your spouse. So you gotta date your spouse, man. And I, I, I know the excuses, like I, I have two kids, I know the excuses, well, we don't have any money to go out on a date like we're trying to save money or or i can't afford to pay a babysitter you know i mean it would be like an extra hundred dollars for us to go out just to pay somebody to watch the kids well let let me like rearrange your idea of a date like you don't have to go to some fancy restaurant you don't have to spend a bunch of money like you can just say here's what we're going to do we're going to put the kids down to bed and then we're going to go downstairs and we're going to go rent a movie and eat a papa john's pizza if you're really trying to save go little caesar's right you can't get any Worse than that, get Little Caesars and uh, five bucks. Like that's it. It doesn't take a lot of money. Like you don't have to get dressed up. Wear your pajamas. The kids will be upstairs. Watch a movie. Eat a piece of pizza. Just date your spouse. There's so many uh, counseling sessions that I do in in my office post marriage where people will say the same thing. Like Nathan, I just don't understand it. But like the spark's gone. Like, it just feels like when we first got married, like, the, the fire was hot, right? But now it just seems like over time, we've, we've lost the spark. And they'll tell me, like, we tried to go out on exotic vacations and, and eat great steakhouses and buy each other expensive presents. And like, I just, like, it's just not there anymore. Like, the romance is gone. Let me give you the secret on romance. You ready? Romance is simply making your spouse feel special. That's all it is. Make your spouse feel special every day. If you're married, you ought to wake up every morning and it all cross your mind. How am I gonna make my spouse feel special today? If you do that every single day, the fire will never go out. You'll never have a problem. You'll always have a spark there. And it doesn't cost anything. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Like my wife has on a yellow shirt today and I'll tell her, I'm like, girl, yellow's your color, girl. Get it. I love that on you. I love, and tomorrow, if it's red, I'm gonna be like, girl, I thought yellow was your color. Red's your color. <laughs> it's, it's good, man. Or, you know, I'll do something for us. Hey, I, I, I mopped the floor today. Your boy mopped the floor for you. Love you. Send her a text. Like anything. It doesn't have to cost any money. It's every day. How am I gonna make my wife feel special? You don't have a great marriage. Make sure your spouse feels special every single day. Because here's a heads up. If you don't make her feel special, somebody else will somebody else will. They'll get it from somewhere else. So prioritize your spouse. Date your spouse. That's what God tells us to do. It's right there in the outline of scripture. Number three is is this. We got to be unified. It says the man left his mother and father and clung to his wife, cleaved to his wife, was united as one with his wife, and then scripture says, and they became one flesh. They became one flesh. Everything about their life was united. It's no longer uh, me and you, it's us. We became one family, one flesh. And I'm not talking about just like, we're gonna move in together and, and put the bills together and we're gonna like split everything down the middle and be together and we're gonna raise these kids together. I'm not talking about it. It's like every aspect of life is one. There's no longer my goals and your goals, it's our goals. There's no longer my fears and your fears, it's our fears. There's no longer like my, my plan and your plan. It's our plan. Everything comes as one. Everything is united in that. Let me, let me teach you a, uh, a, a cuss word in marriage. It's a four-letter cuss word. And you got to get this out of your vocabulary if you're married. It's uh, mine. That's mine. My time, my money, my dreams, my goals, like my calendar, my feelings, my desires, you got to kill that now. Because Scripture says two became one. So we're, we're united in everything that we do. We're moving in the same direction. If you're not united, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start moving in the one direction. Your spouse is going to move in another direction. And eventually you're going to realize how far apart you are. United in, in everything. They, they left their mom and dad, the priority. They were united in their love and in their affection and everything about their life the last thing is found in verse 25 this may just seem like a throwaway verse to you just seem like a little i don't know like if you giggled or laughed but it said in verse 25 it says adam and 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 his wife were both naked and like living the dream like just having a great time running around no clothes on you may think like what's up with that like why is that in the bible It's, it's the fourth thing uh great marriages maintain trust Great marriages focus on maintaining trust. Think about this. Um, when you lose trust with someone, you're more likely to hide things from them. Um, a lack of trust is a killer of intimacy in a marriage. kills it. If you don't feel like you can trust that person, then like, the relationship stops growing at, at that point like really practical for me. Uh, like Elizabeth and I decided on some things when we first got married to make sure that our trust level was maintained at the highest level. Like Elizabeth knows all of my passwords to social media. She can get on my phone anytime she wants to. Like there's, there's nothing I hide from Elizabeth, N- nothing about my life. Uh, I decided uh, even as a pastor, I said, I wanna make sure, I sat down with Elizabeth, I said, I wanna make sure that you are never at work and you never have to think in your mind, I wonder what Nathan's doing. I wonder where Nathan is. I wonder where Nathan, who Nathan's hanging out with. So I made this rule. I've told you guys about this, and it's our, it's a rule for our whole staff. Uh, like I will not meet one on one with another girl that's not my wife. I, like, please don't, don't be upset at this. It, it doesn't matter to me how bad your life is falling apart. I am not gonna risk my marriage. I don't want anybody looking at me, and like even if it's like a public place, like hey, let's meet at Starbucks and sit at this table. Man, like knowing my luck, one of y'all would walk into Starbucks and be like, oh, there's Pastor Nathan, and that's not Elizabeth. Cool. Like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't ever want my wife to be like, I wonder where Nathan is. I wonder what Nathan's doing. I wonder who Nathan's hanging out with. So if you were to come up to me after the service and, and, and you're a female in here and you say, Nathan, I want to meet with you about something, like counsel something, I'd say, great. We can meet in my office and uh, one of the staff members is going to be in there with me uh, or, or someone on our team or you can bring somebody with you. We're not going to be in there by ourselves and we're going to leave the door open. That's just my policy. I don't want my wife sitting there like, I wonder who Nathan is, is at the office with. I don't want anybody to drive by here and see my car and then some other random girl's car. So y'all don't park in the parking lot when I'm here by myself, okay? (laughs) And so I get it, man. If that's you and you're just like, man, but Nathan, I I need some counseling. I don't want the door open. I don't want somebody else in that room. I totally, totally understand. And I will refer you to a counselor here in Winston. And you can go in their office and meet with them one-on-one with the door closed at $100 an hour. Make yourself at home. But for me, my marriage is a priority. Again, I don't wanna be known as a great counselor. I wanna have a great marriage. I don't care to be known as a great pastor. I wanna be a great husband. I wanna have a great marriage. Decide what you want to be great in your life, what you will prioritize and set it up. And here in scripture it says, man, Adam and Eve's relationship was so good. They didn't have to hide anything. I mean, it's just like, like you, you're, you're not naked around a lot of people. Like there's a reason why we all have clothes on in here. But when you don't have anything to hide, like when you're not embarrassed about anything, like when you can talk about anything and share anything without a feeling of being judged or somebody making fun of you or your, your spouse walking out of the room, like holy moly, their life is a wreck. What is going on here? It's a high level of trust. Let me, let me, let me warn you with something before I close about trust. Be very careful with trust. Because trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. You can work your whole marriage to gain trust with your spouse and in one fleeting moment, lose it all. Dump the whole bucket out that you worked your entire marriage to fill. So be careful. These were the four pillars, the four foundations that God laid out. Says, you wanna have a great marriage? It's simple. It's only four things. But you will have to work at it. You will have to make it a priority in your life. You want to have a great marriage? It won't happen by accident. It won't be because you just worked a season. Your whole marriage, you will have to work at honoring God in this most crucial area. That is the recipe for a great marriage. Really simple to read, really hard to do. Uh, But God laid it out. You want to have a great marriage the way he designed it? There it is. Uh, Four keys, four ways to have a great marriage. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for just laying it out. You you made it so clear. Uh, You said, this is the way I designed it. This is is how I created it. This is the key. You can have a great marriage. And you laid it out there for us. So God, just right now, give us the wisdom and the courage to know what to do with what we've just heard and to actually do it in our lives. God, help move people from just married to people that have a a great marriage and can enjoy it. Help us to have the power and the ability to to change our lives, to fall in line with the outline that you've laid out in your word. Ask those things in your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today’s message, please email us at info@discoverrevo.com. At